Don't you love an extra $100 in your pocket? Have a TurboTax expert file your taxes for you by March 31st to get $100 back instantly. Because no matter what moves you made last year, TurboTax makes them count. That means getting $100 back and 100% accurate taxes only from Intuit TurboTax. Must file by 331. Credit only applicable to federal filing fees with TurboTax full service. Offer can be modified or terminated at any time. Hello and welcome to the latest edition of The Dugout from Sports Mall. I'm Pascal Lemaire and Barney Corkle has joined me once again after a blockbuster few days in the football world. Since we last spoke, we've had the FA Cup fourth round, transfer deadline day and a midweek set of Premier League fixtures, but there really is only one place to start this week. We all wondered if there would be a big last-minute transfer on Monday, but it was managers who stole the headlines as Man City announced that Pep Guardiola would replace Manuel Pellegrini at the end of the season. Barney, your initial reaction to the news? Yeah, absolutely huge news, isn't it? I think we all expected it to happen at some point or the other, but the timing of it was certainly surprising and the way it was just pretty nonchalantly announced by Pellegrini at the end of a, just a routine press conference. He just came back and said, I'm going to be leaving at the end of the season. As I say, it was expected, but the timing was the most surprising of all and it's a big statement for Man City they've made a few statements during um, their times as one of the big dogs in Premier League uh, football since the Abu Dhabi group came in and this is probably the biggest of the lot they're getting probably the best manager in the world at the moment I think this will be his biggest test so far I think when he's Mm -hmm. moved into Barcelona and Bayern Munich in the past he's obviously been one of the top teams if not the top team in the league and in the Premier League there's a lot more teams who can take points off you than there are in in Germany or Spain so I think it's going to be his biggest test and I think there still is a question mark over him in that sense to come to come into the Premier League but I mean I haven't seen or even heard anything to the contrary that he's going to be a big success in England as well especially with the resources available to him at Man City I, I think he, if he stays there for a while, I know he signed a three-year contract. If he stays there beyond that, I can see Man City dominating the Premier League in that time and becoming the force in Europe that they really want to be. Because everything, all his former players, everything you hear about his coaching style is just all glowing references. I remember Eddie Jones, the New England um, rugby head coach, saying he's he saw a training session and he left feeling embarrassed about his own abilities. And this is a man who's. <laughs> who's taken Australia to the Rugby World Cup final, guided Japan to arguably the biggest shock in the sports history in the uh, World Cup last year as well. So he's a world-class coach in his own right, and he said he's, he was embarrassed about his own ap- abilities after watching one Guardiola training session. So that, I think, speaks volumes about the quality of that Guardiola's got, and it's a massive, massive move for Man City to get him. Absolutely. I think we just we have obviously got to give a word to Pellegrini as well. You know, he's He's still done a great job with City, I think, and obviously the way... I mean, it's been talked about enough the way he's handled the situation quite well. And, you know, I think he obviously might have wanted to stay on. And, I mean, the way they're going this season, it'd be, it's going to look well quite bad potentially. I mean, City, the words you hear the players say, they all seem to really be a big fan of Pellegrini. And they're still in four competitions. I mean, winning the Champions League is unlikely, given, the, you know, the powerhouses that are there with Barca, Madrid, Munich. Um, and especially, well, the way PSG are going in uh, Ligue 1 as well. But, like... The way they're going, they could easily do the domestic treble. You know, they're in the League Cup final, FA Cup. I mean, tough draw. They got Chelsea in the fifth round, but looking good in the league as well at the moment. So, I mean, if they go out, say, winning multiple trophies, I mean, Pellegrini would have done a great job. And it'd be interesting to see potentially where he would go. I mean, I saw people saying that, you know, man, you could do a lot worse than him, but it looks like the team that are potentially favourites to get Pellegrini would be Chelsea. Yeah, and I've got to say, I'm a big fan of Pellegrini, not just the way he's conducted himself throughout. I think he's been. He's been very dignified throughout the whole situation, even when he probably knew in his 
deep down that he was going to be leaving the club at the end of the season and I think Chelsea um, even Manchester United I don't, I don't really think that's likely because obviously the, the, the divide between the two mm. clubs I think Chelsea could do a lot worse than at a point Pellegrini he's got a decent track record and as you mentioned he can feel pretty harshly done by because he could end this season as a treble it'd be interesting because obviously Guardiola took over from Jupp Heineckers at Bayern Munich after he had won the treble so mm. Guardiola will be taking over two sides who've won the treble um, the season before in his next two moves which would be quite an interesting segue but um, f- as far as Pellegrini is concerned yeah he's he got sacked by Real Madrid early in his career very harshly as well I think he guided them to their record points total about 105 points in the league but still missed out to Barcelona or something like that and got sacked because of it which was very harsh so he hasn't really had much luck at the big clubs in terms of how he's uh, left them so far in his career but he could certainly go out on a high and I think he deserved to because he's been he's been a, a good manager for them obviously won the league and league cup double in his first season in charge so it'd be a fitting way for him to go out if they won one two maybe even three trophies mm. I think with the uh, Guardiola thing it'd be interesting to see you I mean you sort of touched on it a bit earlier like how how well he does adapt because obviously the, his first job he did sensationally at Barca but that was a you know he knew that club so well he spent you know 11 years of his career there and sorry 13 actually longer than that and he obviously knew that whole you know it's a very unique club in the way it's run Barcelona and then he goes to Bayern who are by far the strongest team in Germany you know they've had the odd challenge here and there Dortmund were very close a couple of years ago but just such a difference between the two and like you said, he's coming to the Premier League now where you've got a team like Leicester, you know, so close to get going down last year, now top of the Premier League. After one of, this is arguably one of the most sort of bonkers seasons in a long time in terms of who's beating who. You've got the champions down the bottom half of the table. Do you think he couldn't come in in the first season and instantly make City, you know, the dominant force like, say, Bayern are in Germany? It's the big question. I don't see them ever being as dominant as Bayern are in Germany or as Barcelona were at times with the exception of you know Real Madrid and Atletico Madrid, every other team, they're expected to be fairly comfortable, comfortably. I don't see that being the case at Man City. I don't think... Well, there's not really any team who's had that domination in the Premier League during the Premier League era. Perhaps maybe the Arsenal Invincibles, but even then they drew a fair amount of games more than the likes of Barcelona or Bayern would do in a, in a season. So the Premier League is different. As I mentioned, there are, there are a lot more teams that can beat you than in any other league, really. Certainly in any other top league. Um, in in Europe, so it will be a tough challenge for them. But his style of play is going to be very interesting because we talk about the English league being all uh, blood and thunder, really, and maybe his ticky tacker football won't really adapt very well to that. But you got it's it's worked in Europe and it's worked against English teams in Europe, so you'd have to assume it's going to work again. And just his style of play, not even on the ball where passing is the main thing but winning it back as well mm. within four or five seconds of losing it that's going to be key to them I think and I, it's, it's, it really is going to be interesting to see how he does adapt to um, the English game because it is a different beast to what he's seen before and doing that week in week out rather than on the odd one against uh, in games against the top Premier League teams who would often try and play against his Barcelona or Bayern Munich teams in the Champions League. He's going to come up against different tests in the Premier League. So, yeah, it'll be interesting to see how he adapts to that, but I've got very little doubt that he will be able to do that. I think it'd be interesting also to see which sort of players he can lure because, you know, playing under a coach, you know, with Guardiola's history, you know, that's that's a thing that players are definitely going to want to do because the way he's taken teams to glory in the past you know you think which sort of players might go after I saw a couple of potential uh, lineups earlier on for City next season that both included uh, Iniesta and I've seen 
obviously there's obviously going to be speculation with any of his former clubs like Bayern and Barca so I've seen Lewandowski linked but if they went for in for players like Iniesta and Lewandowski with the players they've already got as well you know they've got such a strong team as it is I mean defensively I think they'd probably need some a few better signings but you know the way I mean they've got Sergio Aguero the best striker in the Premier League um, and they're looking good with players like De Bruyne young players like Sterling it's scary like to think that what their lineup could be next season yeah certainly I think it'd be quite interesting to see who goes out as well there's been a lot of talk of Yaya Torre going out because obviously mm. uh, Guardiola got rid of him at Barcelona as well so. I think this could spell the end of his City career, but certainly more the case of uh, the players coming in when you think of the the lure Guardiola's got coupled with the money City have got. I mean, pretty much anyone aside, I've, I've seen reports saying Messi might move there. I, I very, very highly doubt that. But I think ever, anyone below Messi, uh, Ronaldo, perhaps Suarez and Neymar mm. you know, is a viable target for City now because that... They can coax anyone really with their money, and Guardiola in charge now as well. Everyone really wants to play for him, so yeah, they they will be able to become a powerhouse in the transfer market, and then obviously on the on the field as a result under Guardiola. And I think it puts a lot of pressure on Manchester United as well. They're not going to be really the main team people want to come to him um, when they're moving to Manchester. Now there's already the the lure of London, which is probably greater than Manchester with teams like Chelsea. If you want to move to the Premier League. Mm-hmm. Um, but now United might find themselves playing second fiddle with Manchester, which and it's going to be interesting to see how they adapt to that because this is a big statement from City and whether they respond, you know, there's a lot been a lot of talk whether if they're going to bring in a a, a big name manager. Louis Van Gaal is a big name manager, which hasn't worked mm. out. I think they do perhaps need a change because they can't keep on playing in that sort of style when you've got City with Guardiola. Chelsea perhaps maybe with Diego Simeone Arsene Wenger still at Arsenal Jurgen Klopp at Liverpool some of the best managers in the world and then United playing a pretty dull football under Louis van Gaal so I think they need to react as well so it, it, it heaps the pressure on them Yeah and is Mourinho the man to go there would you say I mean I've seen you know, people say that he's the one that if if, if United are going to be able to really bat, battle Guardiola then Mourinho who's obviously done that uh, with Real Madrid as well, is it, do you think he's the man to go to Old Trafford and battle Guardiola? I think from the the uh, possible managerial candidates, I think he's definitely the the one that seems the best fit. He's obviously probably the biggest manager in the world. Guardiola, I said earlier, was the best, but Mourinho is probably the biggest at the moment. And United's certainly still up there with the biggest clubs in the world. So I think it would be a good fit, and I think he's got the right mentality that would fit the club quite well as well, P- particularly in this sort of stage when. They're in a bit of a rebuilding phase, but at the same time, they've got a squad worth a lot of money with a lot of quality in there as well. And if he's given a bit more money to spend, I can see them becoming a force again, which I don't really see happening under Lou Van Gaal. Which mm. you know, when people when he came in after doing well with Holland in the um, in the World Cup, people were pretty excited about him coming in, but it just hasn't really worked for him. And um, I, I don't. I'm not sure if I see them sacking him before the end of the season, unless things get a lot worse. Because if they if they were going to sack him, they may have done it already. So, it'd be interesting to see if anyone snaps um, Mourinho up before them. But I think uh, United do need a response to Guardiola going to City, and I think Mourinho is probably the best response to that. Yeah, back to Guardiola quickly. I think he hasn't. Well, obviously he could still do this season, but he hasn't won the Champions League uh, with Bayern Munich, which obviously in his eyes will be a failure and that's obviously the main goal that City will want from him because 
in previous years, City, um, you know, since they became uh, one of the bigger clubs in England, they haven't done it in the Champions League. They've got a chance to do it this year. Um, they obviously got uh, Kiev, I think, in the last 16, which was a, a decent draw when you see some, what some of the other teams got. But, I mean, if he can't do it in Europe, then, then that will put the pressure on him. But surely he's the kind of guy that will be able to make City much more competitive at the top level of European football. Well, yeah, and I think that's arguably the biggest reason behind them appointing him because of his success in Europe. As you mentioned, he hasn't done it with Bayern. Every chance he could do it this season, but he did it twice with Barcelona. I mean, he knows how to win in the Champions League. There's only two managers who have ever won the Champions League three times. And for Guardiola to have won it twice already, pretty um, early on in his managerial career, is impressive in itself. So I think that's one of the biggest reasons uh, for, for City appointing him. He certainly got the tools to turning him into a European powerhouse and as I mentioned, with the the tools at his disposal, I don't just see them being dominant in England. I, I can see them starting to challenge the likes of Real Madrid, Barcelona. I think one thing City do need to, and this only comes from years of success, they need to build up their, their fan base, really, because mm. so often you see the stadium uh, nowhere near full, even for you know the League Cup semi-final, a chance of going to Wembley. The stadium was nowhere near full. I think the excitement of Guardiola coming, the excitement of other big players that will follow Guardiola there will help uh, entice more fans but that's that's going to be more a case of just years of success building up a fan base and Man Man City become the team to support like Liverpool did through the 70s and 80s United did through the the 90s and noughties so I think Mm. that is one one area where City are lacking compared to the other big clubs and there's nothing Guardiola can really do about that in the short term but certainly on the field I think they in a few years they'll have the tools to challenge the real big players in Europe to uh, to the Champions League title Yeah so a big change at City and also really big news coming out of uh, Chelsea last week when um, John Terry said after the FA Cup win at MK Dons that he wasn't going to get a new contract and he was going to leave at the end of the season so took everyone by surprise and I mean I think people thought he at least had another season left in him you know, at the top Premier League level but doesn't look like he's going to get it. What, what, what do you make of that? I think it's madness, absolute madness. I can't, can't for the life of me understand why Chelsea uh, are contemplating getting rid of him. He's arguably the best defender in Premier League history. If you're, you're making a Premier League all-time eleven, he's probably in there alongside maybe Adams or Ferdinand Vidic, Campbell, Carragher. Those sort of players are among the best centre-backs. But I'd probably have Terry ahead of all of them. He's been a fantastic servant to Chelsea. He's obviously keen to have another year. I'm, I'm not from the statement Chelsea released after, which appeared to open the door again slightly for him. I'm not sure whether Terry is using it maybe as a little ploy to uh, to push along contract negotiations and maybe get one. So I don't know if we've heard the absolute last of it, but certainly from what he was saying, it's he looks uh, bound for the exit door and. I can't see the sense in it from Chelsea's point of view because he's still their first choice centre back. He's still the best defender they've got so to lose him and when you think of what they've done in the transfer window the, the, the summer transfer window obviously they went after Stones didn't get him and in the end all they brought in was Baba Raman and uh, Papi Gilabodji who paid about <laughs> eight minutes for the club before leaving in January so I don't see the sense in it really I, they don't seem to have anyone lined up I, I, I think Zuma is going to be a very good player but then Cahill's the only other real senior first choice centre back there and Terry I'd have a above both of them so I can't really see any sense of it yeah I think it, it almost came across as if he had sort of been told the news that he wasn't gonna, and I think he was obviously I think he was pretty devastated about the whole thing and I think potentially if he thought he came out to the media and said it very early that 
you know, maybe he probably knew that there'd be this kind of reaction to it and all the story and all that kind of stuff. And maybe, like you said, it could be a, a bit of a ploy to potentially sort of get the just get everyone talking about it and everyone, you know, like, like we are doing now and saying, you know, why are they doing this? And then, you know, that might help him, you know, be able to secure that contract. But, you know, Chelsea, it does seem things are, are changing there. You know, it's been a, a bad season for them. They're not going to be able to retain the Premier League and the way things are going, you know, Spurs are looking really good to sort of secure that top four spot. And you can't, I mean, unless, unless Leicester say, give it up, you can't really see Arsenal or City falling away too much. So the top four is out of the question for Chelsea and they're too, they're too far behind anyway. So maybe, I don't know, maybe Abramovich thinks we just need a, a change. You know, they've already lost in the last couple of years, you know, those kind of stalwarts from the noughties years, you know, uh, Drogba, uh, Lampard as well, all those kind of players have all gone and maybe, he thinks it just needs to change if they get a new manager in uh, next season as well. It, it just might sort of maybe he's thinking that the club needs a refresh because this season has gone so so badly. Yeah, and I I understand that to extent where you know the new manager John Terry's obviously a big big presence in the dressing room and the new manager might want to stamp his authority and there's a chance Terry might get in the way of that. But I've, I've, at the same time, I think Terry will only ever want what's best for Chelsea so he's not going to do anything to, to harm Chelsea I don't think and I struggle to believe he was one of the players um, in question who weren't given their all for Jose Mourinho for example because he always seems to give his all for, for any manager he's under so the power struggle I, I find that quite hard to buy particularly as well I would I would perhaps class Ivanovic in that um, in that class of stalwarts for Chelsea now because he's been there for a long time and he was handed a new deal as well and his form this season has, has been worse than John Terry so yeah there's a lot of question marks over it. I think as I say I don't I'm not sure we've seen the last of it but it's a very strange decision that when you think of he came through the academy as well probably the last player to actually come through the academy and establish himself as a regular first teamer we've got a couple coming through now Ruben Rostas cheek looks like he's got a, a quite a bright future but Terry's the the beacon really for the academy the beacon of hope that players can come through and succeed in the in the first team and ahead of that he's he, he'll be a fantastic example for youngsters say for example if they do get stones next summer I can't mm. really think of anyone better to to teach him than John Terry okay they're different sorts of players but Terry's got mm. all of the experience there to help teach him. And then even Kurt Zuma as well, he's still learning. Terry's a fantastic example to him. So whatever way you slice it, whatever angle you come at it from, I can't really see much sense of it. For me, the, the obvious choice and the best choice is would be to keep him for at least another year. Yeah, and I think with, say, if they did manage to sign Stones, I think that Stones is obviously really good at the ball playing and he... I mean, sometimes Ober does it, but that's the kind of thing he can do. And you probably say that what Terry is best at, you know, positioning and that kind of defensive nous is the kind of stuff that if Stones had that tutelage for a year, you know, surely that would just be invaluable for him. Mm-hmm. And I mean, it, say if Chelsea, you know, say if they were making their pitch to Stones, could say, look, we've decided to keep John Terry. You know, he's, you know what his qualities are about. Surely that would potentially maybe help them uh, sign a player like Stones or any other. You know, say if they if they are trying to refresh the the defense, you know, any other kind of young centre back they went for, even if it was like say, I don't know, someone from across Europe like Varane or something like that, they could say, look, we've got John Terry here, who, you know, just look at the experience he's got. He'd be a brilliant person to work under. Yeah, certainly. And as you mentioned that, going back to Stones and Terry, that potential partnership obviously would improve Stones as a player. I think Terry would tell him in no uncertain terms when the ball needs to be get, got rid of which perhaps no one's doing for Stones at the moment, but also I think they complement each other really well. I think it would be a it would be a sort of Ferdinand, Terry, uh, Ferdinand Vidic 
partnership where one one player always attacks the ball, the other likes to sweep up, uh, sweep behind, and uh, more of a ball playing centre back. So I think that could be a really good partnership. And as I say, I, I still think Terry's the best centre back they've got. So on the field, I can't see any reason for getting rid of him. Off the pitch, I can't see any reason for getting rid of him. Mm, it's a weird one, but um, let's move on to deadline day, which should have been the main thing we were talking about this week. But obviously. Pep and John Terry kind of uh, went in front of them. But transfer deadline day, a bit disappointing really, wasn't it? I mean, none of the sort of so-called big teams really made a move. And in the end, the biggest move of January uh, was Stoke getting Gianelli uh, in Bula, 23-year-old from Porto. Obviously, they saw him as one for the future. They said that um, he was a player they'd been tracking for a little while. But apart from that, the biggest deal was, you know, you had Seydou Dumbia going on loan to Newcastle, uh, Umar Nias going to Everton and then... I mean, the biggest deal apart from that was arguably in the championship with um, Middlesbrough getting Jordan Rose for nine million. But a bit of a disappointing day, really, wasn't it? It was. We, I, I can't say I was expecting too too much mm. different because there wasn't there wasn't really much clamour throughout January for anyone. Maybe Liverpool getting Alex Tissera was the one uh, possibility of a really big deal on deadline day. But Stoke certainly made the biggest statement of intent, and they have been doing well in the transfer window recently. They're certainly changing the perception still under Mark Hughes. He's keeping on taking them further away from the, the Pulis era and the players they've got at their disposal now, for them to splash nearly £20 million on a player, that would have been unthinkable a few years ago. So it's a real sign of how far they've come and I certainly think that they've they've got a bright future um, going forward. I think in Bueller, he's a very promising player. I think he's got the... the the attributes to do really well there and certainly add a lot to uh, Stoke's team but for them to make the biggest signing across the whole of Europe on that on deadline day was a bit of a surprise yeah and I think I've seen sort of comparisons with Imbula that he could be um, replace Stephen and Zonzi who they obviously lost uh, last summer but he's that kind of dynamic midfield player who's going to um, break it up and you know do that kind of thing and I think that's maybe what they've potentially been missing this season you know they've still done so well in midfield I think but I reckon that um, potentially Imbula could help them uh, break up play a bit more and just maybe add a bit more dynamism to that midfield because they've got that in attack. You know, they've got the likes of uh, Shakiri, um, Bojan, who have all been doing so well on Altovic as well. You know, creating play and all that kind of stuff. So uh, they've done fantastically. But apart from that, um, yeah, I wouldn't say there was too much else uh, on deadline day to particularly speak. I mean, the rest of the transfer window, you'd probably say. Bournemouth um, and Newcastle maybe did the best business because you know Afobi's doing really well, and um, you'd say that Shelby and Doombeer and Townsend. Um, would you agree with that? Bournemouth and Newcastle probably doing the best business. I think, but I think Afobi definitely a very good deal for Bournemouth. He um, spent a fair amount of money on him, but I think he's got the goals to keep him up. Um, I would include perhaps Southampton. They weren't very busy, but four million pounds for Austin, I think, is mm. a steal. I think that's a really good uh, bit of business. Newcastle, on paper, I think it looks quite good. Doombia on loan should be a decent signing. Townsend, I think they spent quite a lot on him. That was a bit of a risk. But Shelby, I think, certainly was a good signing. I think he will prove to be worth £12 million. I think the proof will be in the pudding for uh, Newcastle. They saw them uh, midweek losing mm. 3-0 to Everton. and uh, I think they were the biggest spenders uh, before, uh, until Stoke came in with that uh, £18.3 million pound move I think they're the biggest spenders in the transfer market in January so for them to be in the relegation zone and then lose 3-0 to Everton for, in their first game after that the, the signs weren't too encouraging you'd hope that having splashed out that much money it's obviously a big risk 
Mike Ashley knows that they can't afford to get relegated from the Premier League this season more than any other season with the, the TV money coming in. So he's taking the risk of splashing the cash now in an effort to keep them up. He now needs the players to perform on the field. I think, obviously, as I mentioned, they did spend a lot of money. And when you look at value to um, to the players they brought in, Southampton, for me, mm. with Charlie Austin, are the best of the lot. Newcastle, if they've done what it takes to stay up, I think, obviously, that is good business. But I think only time will tell with that one. Yeah, you sort of say there about Newcastle, you know, they're obviously doing everything they can to stay. I mean, it's, they're still in big trouble down there at the bottom. Sunderland also made some good signings. I've read a lot of good things about um, Wabi Kasri, the player they signed from Bordeaux. But then when you compare that to what Aston Villa did, absolutely nothing in January. Yeah. You know, Remy Gard, um, you know, there was reports afterwards that he was considering his future. I mean, he can't have... I mean, when he first came in, uh, was it October, November time, he must have been... They must have promised him, you know, we'll, we'll be able to give you some money to spend in January, but... It hasn't been doing it. It's almost as if the owners are thinking, right, there's no point spending any money. Um, we're definitely going down. We might as well just cut our losses now. And uh, do, you, do you think that's what's happened? I Certainly, I think it's the white flag for them. For them to... I think they're only one of three Premier League teams not to make a single transfer. And you'd say they were probably the team most in need of making a January transfer. It's, I think it is just an admission that they're going down, which I, you can see the logic in it because... It's such a tough ask for them. They're already 10 points from safety as things stand. If you're an owner, you're going to spend millions and millions, tens of millions of pounds. You know, Newcastle has spent nearly tw- uh, nearly 25 million in the January chance window. Are you going to top that and go 30 million in an effort to stay up? It's a big gamble. It's, prob- it's probably um, all or nothing for Aston Villa in that sense. And I mentioned the TV money, this being one of the worst seasons to go down from the Premier League, but you can see the logic behind the owner's decision because but that's just a business decision really isn't it you know surely they've yeah. there's there's more to running a football club than just the business decisions you know there's so much more there the fans the following they have surely you've got to try just everything you can to stay in the league it's it, it's just not good i mean and surely it's, you have to do everything you can to stay in the league yeah yeah i certainly see that point of view as well i think the fans have got every right to be unhappy with them because um you know, it is just a, a the white flag they're surrendering, really. But at the same time, there's got to be realism in the boardroom because if they spend a lot of money uh, this January and then still go down, then that puts them in a much worse position in the championship. And I mean, it's better to be relegated this season and have a chance of coming back up in the next couple of seasons than end up in the same position as, say, a Portsmouth who blow all their money and end up down in League uh, League Two. That's true, but then I'd say that Villa, you know, they should have a lot more. They should be able to survive better than, say, Portsmouth because they are one of English football's biggest clubs. You know, they've got a big stadium, much bigger fan base than the likes of Portsmouth. You wouldn't, I mean, the one worry with Villa you could say is maybe a club like Leeds, which is, you know, you probably say as big as a club like Villa. You know, Leeds is a massive club and they went down to League One. They're now just struggling in the bottom half of the Championship, not really doing a lot. I think that might be the worry potentially with Villa because obviously. Leeds, it's all gone wrong for them. They've now got a, a really bad owner in Chilino who's who's messing with the club. But saying all that, you've got to just look at all the teams above Villa in the table: Sunderland, Newcastle, Norwich, Swansea, Bournemouth. All those sides that are probably favourites to go down. They all did business in January. All and you probably say all of them improved their squads with some good signings. You say Naismith, you know, they eight, eight and a half million for Naismith was a lot, but Norwich that was a good move for them. We've talked about a phobia. Swansea, I mean, uh, Paloshi, he looked really good the other night on his debut and 
all the others, you just say that for Villa not to do anything, I just think they had to try something, even if it was a loan move or anything like that, just to try and just bring something to the team. I just thought it was really, really bad. Yeah, I do think they would have tried if you know the first half of the season had been a bit better, if they had been as close to staying up as maybe Newcastle or Sunderland. I think they would have tried. But as I say, I think just the, the gap between them and survival is probably the board have admitted now too big. It's a, it's a very rare thing you see that. I think I've only seen it a couple of times in Premier League history. Say when when Derby went down with the lowest points tally, yeah. you know, in January and February, they were already saying we're preparing for life in the Championship. Aston Villa haven't come out and said that publicly yet, but you know, not making any signings in January is a pretty big statement of that they are preparing for life in the Championship. And as I mentioned, yeah, Leeds probably are a better example, and they've never really recovered from their financial. Obviously, Aston Villa don't seem to be on the same level of financial difficulties as Leeds were, but. You know, spending a lot of money in uh, in January would have potentially put them in a in a difficult financial situation. So I can see the owner's point of view for that. Obviously, the fans they're not interested in really in that point of view. They just want to see them fight for their fight for their lives in the Premier League. Because as you mentioned, they've got fantastic history. They're uh, one of only a handful of Premier League teams to still to have been in the Premier League since its inception as well. So mm. it's going to be the end of an era, but. I can't see any way of them staying up now. If there was any way, they needed to splash big in the January transfer window. And the owners would have known that. They would have weighed up the pros and cons of that and obviously decided that it wasn't really worth the, worth the gamble. Yeah, just looking at the Premier League table now, you mentioned it earlier, 10 points it is uh, to Norwich in 17th. And uh, well, Let's move on to the midweek fixtures now. And They went to West Ham in midweek. and I mean, there's an issue in that game with the Villa player, isn't there? You know, you're you haven't made any signs but in the players you've got you want them to try their hardest you know do everything they can to stay up and then um, Jordan Ayew goes and elbows Cresswell uh, just needlessly and the thing is West Ham didn't even you know they weren't even that particularly good in that game but they just eventually ground Villa down and got the 2-0 win but that decision from Ayew was just madness wasn't it it was and just you need composure from your players in that sort of there was just no reason for it at all can't really think what went through his mind. There wasn't really any provocation from Cresswell. It was just, it was a very random act from him just to just throw the elbow and get sent off for that and put his team in such a difficult position. Um, when when they're already scrambling about for anything they can get, as you mentioned, West Ham weren't that good on it, and maybe eleven against eleven, Aston Villa might have been able to get something out of it. But it was madness from Jordan Ayo. I, I don't really know what was going through his head in that in that uh, moment then. Yeah, but as for West Ham, another win for them. 39 points they got from 24 games. Just a point behind uh, Manu in fifth. And with Arsenal struggling at the moment, only six points behind the top four. They're doing fantastically under Bilic, aren't they? They are, and Bilic deserves a lot of credit because, personally, I questioned West Ham's decision to get rid of uh, Sam Allardyce in the summer. Most teams who have got rid of Sam Allardyce have lived to regret it in the end and been relegated shortly after. But West Ham have just gone from strength to strength. And the owners deserve credit for that as well. They spent some big money bringing in some players and obviously... They're keen to make a, a a big impact in their last season at the bowling ground, and you know European football could come to the Olympic Stadium in their first season last mm. uh, next season, and I think that's what the owners were certainly after during the transfer window, and they've got the players to get it. We've talked about Payet a lot this season. I think he's been one of the standout performers all season um, all season so far. So they've got the players to certainly push for a top six spot, especially this season when so many other teams are floundering. So. The future's bright for them, I think. If, if they can move to the Olympic Stadium, make that a successful move, it makes them a more, even more attractive proposition as a club. Yeah, if things keep on going in that right direction, I can see them starting to challenge more very regularly for European football over the coming years. 
Yeah, I think you mentioned Pye there. It's, it's just such an exciting time for West Ham. And, I mean, Karen Brady and the owners, they've all said that we definitely will sell out. I think it's 55,000 the sort of football capacity once they move into the uh, Olympic Stadium. They're really confident they'll sell it out. And they are an exciting team to watch. And certainly there's definitely a chance they could finish in the top six. And they were one of, I think, everyone in the top six um, won in midweek apart from Arsenal, who I think it's the first time in seven years uh, they, they've gone three Premier League games without scoring. They drew 0-0 at home to Southampton. Um, but everyone else you see Spurs beating Norwich 3-0 Leicester beat Liverpool 2-0 uh, City went and won at Sunderland a bit fortunate there and then uh, Man U arguably had their best performance of the season beating Stoke 3-0 but uh, back to Arsenal um, they weren't as bad as perhaps maybe in previous games I mean they had I mean Fraser Forster in the Southampton goal he had a tremendous game made a couple of honestly brilliant saves to keep him at it but just feels a bit like um, same old story for Arsenal, doesn't it? Well it did happen on Groundhog Day doesn't it and there's a lot of uh, fans thinking this is all happening again because, you know, it wasn't long ago that they were favourites, top of the league, and then they dropped down. They dropped down to fourth now, behind Tottenham. Mm. It just always seems to happen. I, I think I, I still think this side has got more chance of being crown champions than most in recent uh, history since the Invincibles, really, for Arsenal. But games like that one against Southampton, they need to win. I think there's only so much you can do against the performance like that from Fraser Forster. More than anything, he deserves credit for keeping Arsenal at bay. They tried everything they could to win, but still, if you're going to win the title, those are the sorts of games you need to be winning. And with Tottenham, I've mentioned already this season that I'm a big fan of their squad. I think they're, they're certainly in with a chance of the title. They're now above Arsenal in the table on goal difference. Leicester don't seem to be letting up really good win for them against Liverpool, um, including that fantastic Jamie Vardy mm. goal. And Man City as well. Aguero back in form now. You've always got to back them. So it's going to be difficult for Arsenal. That was such a big setback for to, to not just to drop two points, but as you mentioned, being the only team in the top six to drop points, a really big setback for them. It, one thing they have done so far this season is bounce back well from pretty poor displays, uh, pretty poor uh, ty- uh, periods of play. They had one in November as well. They, they're going through another one now at the moment. I think it's four Premier League games without a win now. Um, mm. So they need to bounce back again from that over the course of February it's always around this sort of time of the year isn't it that yeah. things start to go wrong for them though so be interesting to see how they bounce back this time because they need a response yeah back to uh, back to Leicester another tremendous win for them 2-0 over Liverpool and just looking at the table now 10 points the gap to Man U in 5th so surely it's you know it'd be uh, staggering if they don't finish in the top 4 now um, that Vardy goal like you mentioned I mean I, I thought it was quite good at the end of the game how he said that you know, he, he'd been noticing that Mignolet was quite a bit off his line the whole game and I mean that just shows the intelligence he's got to know you always notice that and I mean he still had to pull it off it was a, a tremendous strike from him and uh, one definitely one of the goals of the season I mean just how impressed were you with Leicester that night? Yeah I was impressed I don't, I don't think um, Liverpool were at their best they didn't offer anything in the final third really but again credit has to go to Leicester for that they've now got five clean sheets in the last six league games I think it is which is Considering what was happening earlier in the season where yeah. they couldn't keep a clean sheet for love nor money, that's a much improved record and the reason why they're now three points clear, I think. And there were some very interesting stats going into that Liverpool game. I think the last 11 teams who have been top at the turn of February have gone on to win the title. The last team to be top at the start of February and not finish in the top four was back in 1981-82. to 82. I think that was Southampton. So all the signs are pointing towards them, certainly being in the top four at the end of the season it would be a, a big collapse from them now it would take that level of collapse for them to not have Champions League football at the King Power Stadium next season which is <laughs> still scarcely believable saying it it's a fantastic achievement from them but you know 
their sights will be set higher. They can win the title this season. That I think these next two games are going to be crucial. They've got Man City mm. away and then Arsenal away. Absolutely huge games. They're probably, even though Tottenham above Arsenal on the table, probably their two closest rivals, two most likely challengers for the title. So if they can come through them relatively unscathed, then you know it should be uh, full steam ahead for them, I think. Yeah, and you probably say the way they were playing. I mean, that first half, they were just all over Liverpool, swarming around them and... The way you know that that shot that Mares had that first time one with his um when he hit that side foot the first yeah, time great was that, that. such a good hit that and it was a great save from Mignolet but then there was that moment in the second half where you know there's comparisons to Guardiola peak Barcelona I think in like 2011 when they were just pinging it around those first time passes incredible football from them and the way that I mean even earlier on in the season everyone was saying you know they've kind of fluked a couple of games here but when you see them playing like that you just it's just amazing the way they're doing it and yeah obviously with the squad they've got players who like Mares was signed, I think it was 400,000 just a couple of years ago in the championship when they signed him and obviously Vardy, who we all know has uh, come up through non-league. Uh, absolutely amazing from them and you just have to say that, oh, I mean, if, if they did, I mean, surely they're, surely they're not going to do it. <laughs> well, I, I think the way they bounced back from, it was a little blip um, over Christmas, over the uh, towards the turn of the year, the way they bounced back from that is probably the biggest signs so far that they can do. Obviously, they lost to the Liverpool uh, first game they failed to score and on Boxing Day and then went th- uh, two more games after that without scoring and people started to think oh, the Leicester dream's over but then they beat Tottenham then draw to Aston Villa people say two drop points against the bo- Leeds bottom club maybe that uh, this is the end of it again but then they beat they thrashed Stoke 3-0 they beat Liverpool 2-0 just they're, they're back on form now they've only lost twice all season after a three game losing run over Christmas and the new year they're back on form they've won three of their last four it's hard to see anyone stopping them. As I mentioned, the next two games will be their biggest test so far. But how many times have we said that this season? We've we've said that this next run of fixtures will really see their true title, title credentials. But it's too late to start down to them now. We're twenty four points in, uh, twenty four games in, and they're three points clear at the top of the table. I think they deserve to be not just title candidates, but perhaps title favourites for me now. Absolutely, be interesting to see how they handle uh, Sergio Aguero on Saturday because he's back to his best. You know, scoring goals for fun at the moment. Aguero got the winner against Sunderland but they really held on in that game you have to say Sunderland caused them a lot of problems Joe Hart made some brilliant stops in that game so City kind of squeezed by then that's probably what you say I mean we're talking about Arsenal not being able to win games like that where you know they're perhaps not their best but something City did do the other night where as for Spurs they you know they comfortably beat Norwich uh, 3-0 Harry Kane getting another couple of goals Um, just quickly touching on Kane and Vardy we talked about how good they are um, been this season Who, who, who would start for you for England at Euro 2016? Well, it depends upon the formation, but I think those two, when it comes to the strikers, those two should be the first choices. I think Rooney, obviously he's returned to form in 2016. You've got to throw him into the mix. For the first half of the season, he was pretty diabolical, to be honest. He would have only got into the England team because he was the captain rather than not on form in um, in that scenario. But whether you drop him deep, between Vardy and Kane, I'm, I'm always going to go for Kane, I think. Vardy's had a fantastic season, but Kane... He's done it over two seasons now. He's proved that he's not a one-season wonder. He's in really good form at the moment, probably the most informed striker in the league at the moment, alongside Aguero, perhaps. But for me, if it's a straight choice between Vardy and Kane, I'm going to go for Kane. But I think certainly there are a lot of options. You don't want to go too overboard like some people did, I think, during the midweek games. A high percentage of goals were scored by English players and young English players as well. You've got Dele Alli obviously performing really well. 
I don't think we should go too overboard with England's chances and the prospect of doing well at Euro 2016, but certainly there are options for uh, for Roy Hodgson there, and depending on what formation he plays, if he plays one striker, I'll go with Kane with three behind. Maybe you've got Rooney in the middle role and Ali on 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 in there as well. So there are options certainly. Yeah, and I th- it's going to be such a tough choice if the, if the, if things keep going the way they're going. I mean, Deli Ali, you'd say. I mean, he scored that fantastic goal for England against France in that friendly as well. But then you've got Barkley uh, scoring two goals last night. I mean, only both penalties as well, but he's been playing well, scored in the FA Cup at the weekends. So you've got Barkley there, Ali there, Rooney. You'd say probably going to play just because of the captaincy thing. And if he well, if he keeps going the way he's going, then he's probably deserving of a spot anyway. But then you've got the likes of then you've got the Arsenal boys. You've got Walcott, Oxlade Chamberlain, Sterling. You can't forget either. There's so many players in those positions for England that maybe you know you probably say that there's a lack of uh, defensive midfielders England have got. Maybe we should just go for it and just put you know five up there and just try and outscore every team. Oh yeah, I'd love to see that. <laughs> I'm not sure we've got too much chance of just sitting back and holding teams at bay. So yeah, it would be good to see teams go for it and you've also got the the players who haven't featured much this season injured who might come back into it the likes of Sturridge if he ever returns to fitness of course, yeah forgot about him um, Sturridge you've got uh, Wilshire who can sit in that deeper role you've got Welbeck for Arsenal as well so there are a lot more um, options on currently in the treatment room as well so it, it is starting to get a bit exciting again don't get too carried away with it but yeah going forward it looks like you could be an exciting proposition um, England yeah, just going back to um, Vardy's goal quickly this week. I don't know which one you preferred, but I thought Man U, you know, they were really good, I thought, uh, against Stoke in that game. And I'd say that, I mean, for me personally, the Martial goal, I thought that was uh, goal of the midweek. But just because the, the passes, you know, you looked at, if you watch it back, I think everything that United did in that build-up to that goal, everything went perfectly. You know, that there was one-touch passing, Matters little uh, double-touch into Rooney, out to Martial. And then the finish, the one-touch and first time into the corner, uh, I thought it was absolutely marvellous, but I don't know which one you preferred out of that and Vardy's. Uh, I would go for Vardy's, I think. That was a stunning strike from Vardy. And as you mentioned, uh, you, you mentioned that he said after the game that he had been seeing Mignolet off his line. I think that adds to it as well, because he'd obviously been planning that, waiting for the opportunity, and when it came around, he executed it perfectly. It was um, maybe if in past seasons you'd say it was just a lucky strike from Vardy, but this season you can't really say that. He's been in such good form. Um, it was a superb strike for him nothing Mignolet could really do about it uh, nothing the defence could really do about it one long ball over the top beating them maybe too easily you would say but for Vardy to come up with a shot like that fantastic finish for him and Martial's goal was superb as well but for me I'll say that Vardy's been the better goal of midweek Okay, just uh, looking at a few of the other results midweek. Um, sort of the teams down the bottom: Villa lost, Sunderland lost, Newcastle lost, Norwich lost. The bottom four were lost, but Bournemouth getting that win at Palace. I mean, Palace—that's five defeats in a row for them. But big win for Bournemouth that, and Bournemouth—they are now seven points uh, clear of the bottom three. Big win for them. Huge victory, and Afobi obviously getting a goal again. That's exactly what they bought him for, and exactly why I think it was such a good deal because he has got the goals, which can turn draws into victories, and with that with him up front now you've always got a chance it's the same really with well obviously Watford doing really well this season but it's the same as them the two strikers the Dini and Icarlo for Watford if you've got them up front you've always got a chance of winning games the team behind them perhaps isn't the best it isn't uh, really what your class is being top half quality in the Premier League when it comes to Watford and the same would apply for Bournemouth You'd, they haven't made many changes from their championship days when they um, when they stormed to the title so on that team behind behind the striker, you'd you'd 
back them to be dragged into the relegation battle. But with the goals a phobia gives them now, I think seven points clear of the relegation zone. I, I find it quite difficult to see them being dragged too much closer, to be honest. I think they might have just got themselves at arm's length of the relegation zone. And I think they might be able to keep themselves at arm's length as well. And just a quick word on Chelsea as well. Um, you watched that game against Watford last night. Bit of a boring one. Because they, I mean, I know it was only MK Dons and some of their defending was atrocious in that FA Cup game. But the way Chelsea, they, they looked so good in that game. Uh, they scored, I think it was 5-1 and finished. But it could have honestly been about 10, 11, 12 goals. They had so many clear-cut chances. But then last night, it's back to the same old Diego Costa just causing so many problems and Chelsea not really, look, not really looking very good. What did you make of the game? Yeah, it was. It wasn't a classic, to be honest. It was. <laughs> it was pretty boring. But it, I think the way Hiddink set up with that game was really spoke volumes about how Chelsea were approaching it with Mikel and Matic both starting. I know Watford have been pretty good so far this season, and they perhaps want to nullify the threat of Dini dropping in behind Di Carlo. But were, they, were both of them really necessary? They don't often play both of them against you know the, the really big teams in the league. So obviously Mikel's a big favour of. Um, of Hiddink, he six starts in a row now in the league, I think it is, which is best best run for a number of years, about four years, I think so. And then Matic was superb last season. He's got the tools to be, well, one of the best defensive midfielders in the world. But for, to drop Hazard in favour of playing both of them, spoke volumes really that Hiddink might have even been happy to come away with a point. Hazard finally came on in the second half, about 20-15 minutes to go. And he made a difference. Chelsea immediately looked more threatened. They hadn't really threatened before then. Watford were the better team in the first half. But then Chelsea, much better in the second half after Hazard came on. In the end, it took a man of the match display from Jorelio Gomez to keep them at bay, including one fantastic save to deny uh, Costa late on. But it's just the way Hiddink set up it. You know, they are still unbeaten under him, but they've only won two of their um, seven Premier League games, Mm. drawn five of them, which isn't really good enough to get them climbing up the table. They would have wanted to see more from Hiddink. Okay, they've stopped losing games. That was the main thing in the short term. But they need to they need to kick on now. And I don't think the tactics employed by him by playing those two defensive midfielders was the way to do that. Yeah, and I think I mean Hazard. He was superb uh, against MK Dons as well. He didn't. Uh, he got his, he got his first goal, didn't he, from the penalty spot? And he was so good in that game. So I was surprised not to see him start last night. And you mentioned Chelsea. I mean, I'd be surprised if Hiddink. I mean. Unless he goes and wins the FA Cup, maybe, and they go on a win run if he gets the job uh, on a more permanent basis. But the FA Cup's going to be a really tough ask now because Chelsea did beat MK Dons. And the thing is, all the so-called big boys, they all won uh, the weekend. I mean, Liverpool drawing West Ham, they've got to do the replay. But Spurs, Arsenal, Everton, they're all through. And Chelsea got the toughest draw of the lot. City at home. It's going to be tough for them, isn't it? It is going to be a difficult one. That's obviously the standout um, tie of the round. And... Whoever it's one of the big boys are going to be knocked out for sure. As I say, Hiddink has got a good record at Chelsea. He's only ever lost one game in both of his spells um, as interim manager, so it's going to be difficult for him to be knocked out. He's never lost an FA Cup game. Obviously, won the FA Cup when he was there as interim boss uh, before. So it's going to be difficult for City to knock him out, but certainly one of them will go out, and that will increase the chances. I think Manchester United will now be looking at this FA Cup, thinking they've got a real good chance. Shrewsbury away, you'd expect them to win that match, and. You know, this is a trophy they haven't won since 2004, which is far too long for Man United not to win the FA Cup. So they'll really fancy their chances here. Arsenal as well, Hull City for the third year in a row in the FA yep. Cup. Hull will be kicking themselves that they've got Arsenal again. They'll expect to get through. So, yeah, I think the big boys certainly do have a good chance. Liverpool, if they get through, if they get past West Ham, if West Ham get past Liverpool, they'll expect to get through against Blackburn. Tottenham Crystal Palace another standout tie there's a lot of good ties but certainly looks to be favourable draw for the big boys right now and I think if I'm a fan of any team in that 
it would be United looking like the, the, the most likely to win at this stage because they've got a kind draw there and the way the league is going, obviously they've still got the battle for the top four, but this will be very high up their priority list, I think. Well, they've got the Europa League as well, but I certainly... Just looking down the fixtures, you could have a last day of uh, Man U, then you've got Chelsea or Man City, West Ham, uh, Watford, who we know have been doing well this season, then you could have Liverpool, Spurs, Arsenal and Everton. That could be potentially the last day, which I think we, we wouldn't have seen a last day like that for many years because usually they get drawn against each other much earlier. You've had you know, the likes of Hull get into the final, Wigan obviously winning it a couple of years ago. This could be a, a really good year for the FA Cup. I mean, not if you're a fan of a lower league team because you probably want to see... Uh, maybe a team you know crashing the party but in terms of how many good ties we could have this could be a really good year yeah it really should be and as you mentioned one of the main things the FA Cup is built on is the reputation of giant killing but it is sometimes nice to see the big teams get so we have some blockbuster semi-finals and the blockbuster final as well at Wembley because you know the quality those big teams provide is is better than the you know the quality a Hull would provide or even Aston Villa getting to the final last season and just getting battered by Arsenal so mm. obviously Hull made a good fist of it in their final taking Arsenal all the way to extra time probably even should have won that game after being 2-0 up early on so there is the upsets are always good in the FA Cup but you know it's going to be a more a more uh, evenly matched final probably if you got two big teams than it was last season certainly between Arsenal and Aston Villa Okay, just uh, one last point before we uh, finish up this week. Just quickly talking about uh, Gary Neville and uh, the Valencia situation. You know, it was a, it was a, when it first came out, you know, uh, he'd taken on the Valencia head coach role. It was a real surprise to everyone, but everyone thought because he was uh, everyone loved him as a pundit uh, on Sky Sports, and everyone thought that he'd obviously done his bit of coaching with the England squad as well. That he he might go over there and have a bit of success, but he still hasn't won a league game. And then last night, uh, they go and get beaten seven nil. Uh, at Barcelona and there's calls for him to resign um, it's not going too well for him is it? It's not at all and uh, yeah as you mentioned people were were pretty uh, excited about what he'd do in management I, I personally thought he would succeed in management but it just really hasn't worked out for him but judging by some of the, the reports and some of the games I've seen of Valencia luck really hasn't been on his side they seem to miss an absolute sitter every single game or hit the woodwork every single game so luck hasn't been on his side but still I saw a quote from him when he was a Sky Sports pundit that if he had lost 7-0 yep. to Barcelona he wouldn't be able to look at his family in the eyes but this Barcelona team is something special and the front three is something special they obviously Neymar missed the penalty in that game as well 7-0 and Suarez scoring 4 Messi scoring 3 but to lose 7-0 is a hard one to take I think uh, he never called it his worst moment in football and that shows how low, low it is and he's insisted that he's not going to resign I think perhaps he should be given a bit more time. He he has only just got his first job in management, but certainly isn't going well for him so far. They're down in twelfth in the table now. I think they're what uh, uh, nineteen points off the top four, and they'd be expecting to before the season they would have been expecting to challenge for the Champions League. So things certainly aren't going well for him. The pressure is on him. It'll be interesting to see how he responds and how soon he comes back to being a pundit. Yeah, well, I think he, I'm sure obviously Sky would take him back because he obviously did a great job for them. But I think certainly if it does if it doesn't get any better for him and he does, you know, end up leaving before the end of the season or even maybe going in the summer, I'm sure he'll come. And I'm I'm sure another English club would be ready to offer him an opportunity, maybe as an assistant and then maybe going into manager. Because I'm sure, I mean, he seems very intelligent. And you'd think that you'd expect him to probably crack the management game uh, eventually but their next chance um, to get a win in the league is this weekend against Real Betis that's a game uh, we'll be covering on Sportsmile this weekend as well as the um, uh, Premier League games uh, and much more this weekend so 
Uh, that's it for this week. Thanks very much, Bonds, and um, thanks very much for listening. Uh, we'll be back next week. See you then.